Welcome to Open Mind UFO Radio. I am your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I am joined by Martin Fancy Butt Willis. Wow. Mm -hmm. Um, That is the first time anyone's ever called me that. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and why? Why am I called (laughs) that? But. Because, you know, like people talk about how uh, we, or like we've mentioned often, you know, the, the names I come up with are due to conversations we have prior to the show starting. And you're doing all this fancy stuff with like, with Harvard or something, you're doing these appraisals because you do this fancy antique stuff. And so uh, that's why you're, and, and I don't know why, I don't think the, the A word's that bad of a word, but I always try to keep it family friendly. I try. So I called you a fancy, yeah. but instead of the more popular term, that uses, right. of course, another phrase for the uh, buttocks area. <laughs> well, you know, last week, I know you were gone, and we're probably going to talk about that a little bit, and... I it was the first time I ever had to cancel uh both shows. Oh um, really? You had to cancel. I did. I It wasn't really... because of me, was it? No, no, no. It had to okay, do with the good. Harvard deadline you just mentioned that oh. it was a prestigious men's club and I just was I just couldn't do it. Day and night work down yeah. in Boston. So uh first time I ever missed a show. Wow. So we both didn't have shows last week. That's right, except I think you were probably a little bit more relaxed. Than I People was. were freaking. Yeah, I probably I was at least having fun. I mean, yeah. uh, uh, I kept busy doing lots of fun stuff. Uh, and I'll post some pictures on my Facebook and stuff so people can see some of the cool stuff that I was doing. But nothing UFO related. UFOs barely came up. Um, if they did come up, because my girlfriend always likes to brag about the UFO stuff I do. And I don't really like to bring that up in general conversation. I'm probably more paranoid about it than I need to be. And it's not, I just, you know, don't want to go there. And uh, so I give her the look. And her daughter also gives her the look because her daughter's like, don't talk about that with my friends and stuff, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I bet. Um, That's pretty funny. Yeah, it is pretty funny. Even though more often than not, people are really interested in it. But uh, it's kind of work, too, you know. So I wanted to mm. chill. So, yeah, it was UFO-less, thank goodness. And it's nice because you don't have um, access to your phone and email. And although they're, it's getting cheaper and cheaper to be able to do that, but uh, because it's just not, you know, you don't totally have it uh, all the time, it, it's a good excuse to get away from all of that. So, um yeah, really nice. I didn't see. Now I would have liked to have seen something. I wouldn't mind if. Uh, essentially, it's the ET portion. If if there really were 
RETs out there or whatever the phenomena is and it decided to present itself, that would be a welcome interruption. Um, well, there but, you go. Uh, unfortunately, that did not happen. Yeah, not this time. Wow. No. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so Mr. Fancy Man, so it is some pretty fancy stuff you do, which is pretty nice. Oh, it's fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's fun. Good. But I am ready to talk UFOs, except... All right, yeah, yeah. We want to know who your guest is, right? Yeah, we do. I think people do want to know. And yeah, so my guest is Irina Scott, uh, who's a PhD. Uh, she's very interesting. She's written this book... Uh, UFOs Today, 70 Years of Lies, Misinformation, and Government Cover-Up. Now, don't get confused because I actually did uh, when I was looking up who my guest was today because, uh, you know, I've forgotten everything since I down, just purged my brain um, and I'm having to relearn uh, what I'm doing here with my life. But um, so, Irina Scott, we do have an interview uh print interview that was written by Philip Mantle. And Philip Mantle was, of course, a UK um, researcher, UFO researcher who contributes to our website occasionally. And he's actually published his books. And, and I believe he published Irina's book here. But Irina Scott is very interesting. She has a PhD. She's worked in defense in some interesting places. And... Um, her husband like worked at Area 51, and so she has actually been researching UFOs for decades, including many different um, titles and different uh, positions at MUFON. So she's a very, very interesting woman, and she did just release this UFOs Today, uh, 70 Years of Lies, Misinformation, and Government Cover-Up book. So I interviewed her before I left to talk about her new book, and uh, so that's the interview. So it's it's if people go to the website, they're going to see a print interview from Philip Mantle. But then they're also going to see the Open Minds uh, UFO radio interview that I am doing with her. So they'll they'll be able to hear a lot about Irina Scott. And I think it's worth it because she's I think she's very interesting. Yes. Yeah, um, she is. And, uh, I, you know, the, I did interview her myself a while back, but I I don't even remember her saying that her husband was, you know, involved in Area 51. Mm. So maybe that's something that you purged out of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she worked at Wright-Patterson uh, for a long time. She worked for Battelle. She worked for these places that, uh, you know, come up in UFO mythology, so to speak. Um, and uh, so she has some interesting insight into all of these places. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty I'll cool. I'll be interested to hear your, you know, it's funny, when you and I interview the the same person, it's uh, it's a total different show because, yeah. you know, you think to ask different questions than I do, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's always always good to listen to both, yeah. I think. two different perspectives. She uh-huh. also, um, according, you know, I didn't even know about this when I interviewed her, or I didn't even go there, essentially, but I guess she also talked to this alleged Roswell witnesses witness who's also in her book. And uh, I didn't go there, so that's even more information about her. In fact, um, I just kind of, you know, there are a lot of alleged witnesses, so I didn't find that the most interesting thing 
about her book and her and her research in this field. So I think people will will understand that when they hear, hear the interview and all the other things that we talk about. But it's kind of funny. So I just I Googled that Roswell, you know, witness because uh, a UK tabloid had written about this aspect of her book. So, of course, Philip Mantle being in the UK, I'm sure he was oh, able yeah. to get a hold of people and, and promote that, uh, help promote the book in this way. But uh, so I Google this, and of course what comes up, not only is it frustrating these UK tabloids are inaccurate, it's kind of funny because sure enough, as soon as the, the page pops up, it's some woman with uh, her her breasts hanging out of her outfit. And uh, that's the other thing these tabloids do is they've always got that sort of thing. So, yeah, these tabloids, they sure are something. They're just It's just such a weird period of time where they've picked up on the UFO thing so much. Um, and so much of what they print is uh, just inaccurate. But uh, I, I did look this story over. And at least this story about Irina Scott and this uh, Roswell, alleged Roswell witness, that she interviewed. It seems like it was done uh, um, accurate, um, accurately. So, mm-hmm. yeah, awesome. Yeah. So there you go. That's who my interview is today. But uh, yeah, UFO news. So um, I've been gone a week. So I'm assuming you have collected this week of UFO news to go over on the show today. <laughs> Uh, you and know I'm what? So I'm so terribly interested to hear. Uh, uh, am I gonna get my pink slip? Why? Why would you get your pink slip? Well, I I just I haven't had time to uh, raise my head up from the desk, so to speak. So oh. I don't even know if there's anything flying around up there. O M G. So what are we going to do on this part of the show? You didn't come prepared? You've been uh, you've been working your fancy butt job and uh, working with all these fancy Harvard people. And uh, uh, they they take precedence over UFO news, apparently. Well, uh, you didn't. Did you even read the story with the the that has this picture with her, the girl and her. She's all hanging out there, even though the story's about Roswell and aliens. Well, I missed the story part. Oh, yeah. Oh, you got no. distracted there. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's okay. I you know, know, I I want to talk about... There is something I want to talk about. Oh, good. Thank you. That's God. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. fill some of this space here. <laughs> no, I... We, we already talked about Robert Bigelow, right? In his 60 Minutes interview that he did a couple weeks ago. Where right. and actually, it turns out that interview was a long time ago, and uh, actually, and they just aired it recently. And oh. he did not shy away from talking about alien UFOs and aliens and how he believes in that sort of stuff. Well, I wrote a story about it, and um, I wanted to do some more research and background into Bigelow and not only um, <clears throat> his background, how he got interested in space and UFOs. But also, you know, some background on his uh, assistance that he's lent to different UFO and paranormal researchers. So I've got quite a lengthy story on this where you can read more about Bigelow. But there are some interesting aspects that uh, 
I was reminded of and one that I didn't even really realize that I think it's really cool. Um, first of all, <clears throat> I would like to talk about his grandparent sighting. Oh, I don't think really? we talked about the details of that, right? No, not at all. No, I didn't know about this. Huh. Yeah. So <clears throat> Bloomberg actually did an interview. I think it's the best uh, summation of this sighting that inspired his UFO interests. And he says uh, it was his grandparents who had this sighting. But he says one night in May 1947, um, this is his story, his maternal grandparents were driving down the remote Kyle Canyon Highway, returning to Las Vegas after a trip to the mountains, when they saw in the sky ahead something they thought was an airplane on fire. But as it drew closer, they realized it was a huge and unidentifiable oval object glowing bright red. When the terrified couple pulled over to the side of the road, it bore down on them, finally filling their field of vision before at the last second executing an abrupt 90-degree turn and disappearing. Bigelow heard about the incident years later from his grandmother. His grandfather never liked to talk about what he'd seen. He was still bothered by it, Bigelow says, because they both thought they were going to die that night. Wow. How That's crazy. Amazing. I know. I mean, it fills their field of vision, this huge orange orb thing, and then it uh, abruptly makes a turn and flies away. Well, I, you know, you can understand why, why he would get involved in the subject, you know, first of all, uh, with an impression like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, second of all, it's such an odd sighting. You know, yeah. it's, uh, it's so different. I love the ones that are different, by the mm-hmm. way. And there's there's some similarities to other sightings. This one, and it, who knows, over time it may have been more dramatized. So, of course, there's the Alagash guys who saw that giant orb, and then they, when they flashed a light on it, it moved towards them um, before flying off. And, and that was a terrible idea, I guess, of them. And, and they feel like yeah. that, flashing the light at it. Right. But and yeah. you do hear of them coming towards people before flying away, but nothing like this where it's so close and fills their field of vision before flying away. And it is almost like it tricked them. It's like, oh, we're going to get you. Ha ha. And then boom. Oh, tricked you. Unless they had, you know, the missing time, which, you know, uh, they may have not even known they did, you know. Yeah, from what I understand, he has not explained that sort of thing. So he has not said anything about uh, uh, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, so then, you know, he goes on and actually he had some humble beginnings where he started w- in real estate, buying some properties and it, a lot of different things didn't work out until finally he bought this one property, turned it into a hotel. And uh, that was with like the first budget hotel. And now he has this huge chain and he's this billionaire. So after he becomes a billionaire, he decides to get involved with the paranormal. He creates the National Institute for Discovery Sciences, uh, gets some scientists to look into things like the Skinwalker Ranch. Um, he eventually dissolves that, but uh, he, he begins Bigelow Aerospace. And after he closed NIDS, not a lot of people know this, uh, that he started up this Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Space Studies Department. 
And one of the things, uh, it was called Bass, and one of the things they did was continue to investigate UFOs. And they still receive reports from the FAA. In fact, you know, uh, many UFO researchers out there may be aware that if you call the FAA um, and ask them about a UFO, they'll often say, we don't collect information on UFOs, you know, call the National UFO Reporting Center or Bigelow Aerospace. Um, so wow. they refer to those two areas. Mm-hmm. I had no idea about that. Oh, you didn't know that? No. Yeah. Wow. Yep. And and it's mainly, I mean, they're an actual aerospace company. Um, but this is really interesting, how he got involved with space and how um, that all came about. So he essentially decided he also liked space and he wanted to get involved with space. Um and he didn't know how or what. So he, um, in the late 90s, you know, he found out about this program called the TransHab, which is were inflatable units. And essentially, NASA had this program. And what they wanted to do was have this uh, inflatable thing that they can inflate on Mars and it could be a habitat for the astronauts to live in well the program began to uh uh it was getting problems getting funding so this is really interesting so what this these program directors did in uh late 90s like ni in 1999 was to invite corporate private corporations to invest in this transhab project, this this inflatable project. So they had these meetings where they would have these corporations come in, and Bigelow used to go to those meetings. So he was just where, as you know, they would have like maybe Lockheed Martin and Bell Aerospace and all of these people representing these large companies. And then there was Bigelow. And he's saying he had no employees there. He wasn't representing anybody but himself. He was just showing up. And none of the other corporations showed any interest in the project. Um, but he loved it. So he decided right there to form a company, buy all of this land to, to build a, a facility and hire a bunch of scientists and to go for it, to, to develop this um, inflatable, you know, space habitat system so that's what he did and now you know years later he this one of these inflatables is attached to the international space station they're testing it it works lots of people are excited about it there uh bigelow is one of the big players in the whole commercial space industry along with elon musk and you know jeff bezos and all of these highfalutin billionaire people and uh, he's right in the mix. Bigelow Aerospace has actually had some legal uh, issues where they've made some headway that to help the industry and uh, all of this stuff. So he's like, a, that's why he was on 60 Minutes, because Bigelow Aerospace is now a, a very important part of the uh, commercial space uh, programs out there. So really interesting. And this is cool, too. And you can see this highlighted on our story. When he built his big Bigelow Aerospace facility... He has up on the corner of the building, oh, yeah. yeah, a logo for bass. And the logo is like this alien face. That's right. 
because he's he's never shied away from that. He's really into UFOs and aliens and stuff, and uh, so it's just it's pretty wild stuff. It's pretty cool. So I go into more history. In fact, I even go into some of the controversy with uh, the Mutual UFO Network and some of the um, conspiracy theories out there about Bigelow. Um, actually, my interaction with the TV show Conspiracy Theory, who had called me. Uh, and introduce all these crazy, wacky ideas. But, uh, yeah, I document all that and put that all down here. So um, really interesting stuff. So he's just a terribly interesting fellow. And, um, yeah, I've got to meet him a a couple times. In fact, one time I was going to Johnson Space Center on something totally unrelated. I was there for a press thing where I was going to write – they were going to have us write about the Martian and stuff. Some people hopefully – remember that story i wrote about with the scientists and stuff there um and uh uh, i when we were getting checked in you know you got to get your press credentials and stuff at this little building bigelow was checking in at the same time with his whole entourage which included this gentleman named com kelahar who is the one Mm. who runs base who who all or bass who also was the kind of the head guy at the national institute of discovery sciences so this is his head like you know even paranormal science guy who also wrote the book hunt for skinwalker with george knapp so he was there with uh um bigelow so he's still an important part of bigelow's uh company and everything there so pretty cool pretty cool stuff it is now the inflatable things which i I see, you know, the the video, I mean, I'm sorry, the image you have of it um, on the, you know, attached to the space station. Mm-hmm. How, do, how do they uh, transport that up and does something like, is it like a solid capsule that actually inflates once it gets into position? Do you know anything about that? It's- yeah, well, that's what's cool about this unit is that it can, you know, it's inflatable, so it gets really small. And they're able to put it in the cargo of, uh, you know, just they get regular supplies up there. So they're able to put this unit in the cargo in one of those supply drops and fly it out there. Uh, This was, I think, about a year or so ago. Uh, I remember when it happened. And then they attach it and it inflates. So that's, that's one of the advantages of this thing is that it is really compact in transit it can just fit in the cargo and then once you get it to where it's going which in this case is the international space station they have plans and they're trying to sell it and they say they have some relations with uh, other corporations to have a uh, kind of its own space station where you can have a larger one of these that floats around all on its own and there's room on board for a private company to have their own space station to do studies and stuff like that and he's also working really hard uh, with NASA to, to have a moon base, essentially kind of a moon hotel um, mm-hmm. is what the idea on this is. And um, that's where he's made some legal ground where, you know, they'll just fly one of these to the moon. Uh, they inflate it and you, you have this habitat there. But uh, one of the things uh, I know their legal team is working on is where do they put it? Who right. owns the land on the moon? Because they mm-hmm. can't just you know, inflate this thing and put it somewhere without knowing who owns the land below it. You know, it's kind of like a an earthbound real estate issue. Uh, when you're building something, you have to have an agreement with whoever owns the land 
But if there's no agreement on who owns the land, that's part of the the, the holdups on uh, that whole program. So that's one of the things that they're working through. So interesting stuff. I have a solution for that. They oh, could you go do? Up there. Oh, yeah. They could go up there and survey it and completely, um, you know, duplicate what's on the earth as far as countries go. You know what I mean? Stake it all out. Uh, it's not a good idea, is it? Because of the dark side of the moon. Well, there's oceans. That. 70% of the earth is, uh, you might find this interesting, is ocean. I didn't think of that either. <laughs> and there's no ocean out there. So Give it that to the fish. Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Huh. Well, wow. it was it was you know it was a good shot. Yeah, yeah. I gotta think think things through a little bit maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's okay. You um, you're it's part of your charm. That's why you're on the <laughs> show. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, yeah, that's all I got. It's just some updates on the Bigelow stuff. Some of the stuff I think is really interesting about all of that. Hopefully, in the not too distant future, we'll be able to um, speak with him directly. Uh, luckily, I, I, like I said, I've met him. Uh, I, I have mutual friends. And I'm working on, hopefully... Uh, you know, uh, providing an opportunity where people can hear from him and or uh, be able to meet and ask him questions. So, uh, wow, I'll continue to work on that. It's going to happen at some point, I think. So, um, stay tuned for that. Yeah, I I don't imagine he's too busy, right? <laughs> yeah, he's only got spaceships to build and space yeah. habitats. Yeah. Yeah, I bet he's a super busy guy. Well, good luck with that. Yeah, thanks. So um, any other news that you have? You know, uh, I'm at a loss today. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah, it was still fun. Yeah, I still had a good time. Yeah, yeah. listening to your story it was great. <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad glad you were here, able to take time from your fancy job to, to talk to us. And, and you're going to be heading out to Russia soon, right? Yes, um, in the middle of the night, basically, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm heading wow. overseas again, um, and this time for like 40-some-odd days. Wow. So, yeah, and I'm changing the schedule of my live show. Um, I'm actually going to be doing it uh, 8 to 10 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time, but actually it's going to be Russian Moscow time, so that'll be 1 p.m. Um, in Eastern Standard Time. Oh, okay. Uh, see how that works. Russia time. So, are you still going to be able to join us um, on this show for oh, yeah. the news? Oh, okay. yes. Great. Yep. Perfect. Well, then I guess we'll talk to you next week. You bet. All awesome. right. Thanks. All right. So, uh, let's go ahead and talk to Irina. I am very happy to welcome to the show Irina Scott. How are you? Just fine. And I'm glad you are too. Yes, everything is well. So far, so good. So, this is exciting. This is the first time you've been on the show. However, you've been uh, into UFO research and uh, working with MUFON for, it seems, decades, huh? Yes, I, I joined, um, I think it was in the 1990s, and I've been a member ever since. Mm-hmm. So, that's quite some time. So, I guess... <laughs> 
uh, you've got a unique background. So from what I understand, uh, your first degree was in astronomy? It was in astronomy and um, biology. Oh, both. I started out with astronomy and wound up in biology. <laughs> That's and because I found out they didn't hire females in astronomy. <laughs> really? So, like, uh, what kind of jobs were you going for and what kind of problems did you have? I wanted to be go into astronomy, and mm -hmm. I majored in it for quite a while. And when I started looking for jobs, they said they didn't take females and places wouldn't give me an application or anything. You're kidding. So, no. <laughs> what like what about what time period was this? It was back when jobs were male only. <laughs> uh-huh. When they advertised female jobs and male jobs. Wow. So uh seventies? Sixties. Yeah. Wow. Uh-huh. They kept they didn't hire females in astronomy for a long time after other things opened up for some reason. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is very strange. So, uh, so you moved on, and you you moved into biology. Uh huh. And uh, and then eventually got a PhD in physiology, which is biology and chemistry. Correct. That's right. Okay. So very interesting. And then, at what point was it, or did you have an interest in the UFO topic the whole time? I think I was kind of born with an interest. Uh, as early as I can remember from my childhood, I looked at the stars and wondered what they were. Mm -hmm. And then I discovered that there was a whole field for studying them, astronomy, but I didn't get into it. But um, I was always interested, mm -hmm. ever since I can remember. I mean, I was interested in the physics and all that, but I was also interested in UFOs, which I guess the combination isn't exactly normal, but I was interested in both. Mm-hmm. And so, at uh, did you have your own sighting uh, early on, or, or have you? I've had one possible one. Uh, have you heard of Marfa, Texas? I have. Well, there's repeating sightings of objects around Marfa. It's mm -hmm. been going on for like 100 years or so. And I knew some people that lived in the mountains uh, north of Marfa that had a house with a big picture window and a deck that both both faced Marfa. Mm -hmm. And so I saw Marfa quite a bit and was used to looking at it and filming it. Well, there's a visitation center at Marfa, too, for tourists to look and see if they see lights. And I looked there and I didn't think I saw anything. I thought I just saw uh, cars in the mountains. But I was used to seeing Marfa from the mountains north of it. And one night, about really late, I saw this big light over Marfa. And so I ran for my camera and thought, well, that'll be gone by the time I get back. And it was still there. Hmm. And I filmed it for like a half hour and I finally just quit because it was very late. But it didn't go away. It was really bright. It seemed to hover over Marfa. It um, would very slowly blink off once in a while and blink back on. And so I was used to seeing Marfa, so it wasn't something that was normal. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what it was. I took a video of it for the, about half an hour. But I 
and I was up in the mountains, so I couldn't. It, Mar, um, Marford was about 20 miles away, and I was on top of a volcano, an extinct volcano. Hmm. And so I, if I drove down, I wouldn't be able to see it. So I had to stay on top of the volcano and keep watching it. But I'd never seen anything like it around there. And I had no idea what it was. And I called the airport, and they said they hadn't seen anything. But I think they closed at about 5, too, so I don't think they would have seen it. Wow, so, pretty strange. Yeah. That's neat. Um, so... The Marfa Lights, uh, have, being someone who's in, looked into UFOs, uh, what do you think that phenomena is? Well, um, when I was there, I looked at the visitation center and listened to people and everything. And I basically thought people were <laughs> seeing cars on, in the mountains south of Marfa. Mm -hmm. But after that experience, I changed my mind a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now you feel it's just something anom anomalous, a, a mystery. Yes. Uh-huh. Very strange. So at what point then did you decide to become a UFO researcher or investigator? Was this after you got your Ph.D. or, or while you were in school? I was always interested, but it was a while later before I um, activated and started Studying them. I never became a ufologist. It's always been a hobby because mm -hmm. I supported myself with scientific jobs. But um, I just I found out that they were organizing a group in my local area, and so I joined it. Mm -hmm. And what did you think when you first showed up? Especially someone uh, coming from the uh, coming from a perspective of science. Well, the group I joined was pretty good because uh, they didn't just sit around and talk. Everybody went out and interviewed people and explored. And so it was good for research. And I thought it was pretty good. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, we didn't sit around and discuss theories. We went out and talked to people. Mm -hmm. Great. And so um, some of the jobs you've had are very interesting or in interesting places. And I guess, what sort of work did you mostly do? Well, I was in several, worked in several places that were very important in the UFO field. Mm -hmm. I worked for the Defense Intelligence Agency and the Tell Memorial Institute. And I've been inside Wright-Patterson a number of times, too. Um, when I started out, I couldn't get a job in astronomy, but I they were mapping the moon. And so I applied to a, for a cartographer job, physical science type, and got one. Cool. And continued. And I got a really good high security clearance. And I went to the Defense Intelligence Agency and got more security clearances. But unfortunately, with all these security clearances, they put me on the world instead of the moon or anything. So after a while, um, I quit. I got married, and my husband um, was living in Nevada, and so I moved out there. And they didn't, I, uh, they didn't have as much astronomy or anything, no department. And so I continued on, and I had a fellowship offer from the University of Missouri Vets School to get a Ph.D., and so I took it. <laughs> 
I was, it was a combination with um, University of Nevada, so I was in both places. Mm-hmm. So at some of these places that you've worked, did you, um, judging from, I guess, what I've seen of the book and, and uh, what it's about, in a professional um, in the environment, did you see things or discover things that led you to believe um, in your career that there was some sort of cover-up? Of the UFO topic? Well, there were a number of things. For example, I knew somebody at Wright-Patterson, and he showed me all around the secret areas and everything and talked quite a bit. And um, a lot of the setup at Wright-Patterson for Project Blue Book seemed like they wouldn't possibly be studying UFOs. I guess people know that now. But um, it was more like a debunking agency. I don't think it started that way. I think when they started studying it, they were very serious and thought seriously considered maybe these are from another planet and things. They even wrote reports of saying that. But then uh, the higher-ups in Washington changed their mind and decided um, they didn't really decide they didn't exist. They said they weren't, um, they didn't interfere with national security or anything. Mm-hmm. And then they closed Blue Book. But I don't think Blue Book did much investigating anyway because it didn't have a security they had some professionals like astronomers and stuff but they didn't have a real big board of professionals and they just um the people weren't well trained and that sort of thing and as it went along it did a lot more debunking than it did to start with even real good sightings were debunked and so I thought <laughs> that this was a fake um, investi- investigating agency. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, of course, it's rumored that at Wright-Patterson they, there were alien bodies there in the alleged Blue Room. Um, do, you, do you believe that's the case? Well, there's supposed to be chambers under vaults and chambers and things like that under Wright-Patterson. And I think that's true because in different jobs I've had, I've uh, been able to find out information about underground chambers on other facilities such as the Mound nuclear facility and things. And they have a lot of these have huge underground chambers that you just couldn't believe. I mean, I think mm. one of them had 30-foot thick um cement ceilings and walls and it was a big chamber and that sort of thing so i don't know anything about the ones that um wright patterson but i assume they're there and a lot of people that work there and that we've talked to said so mm-hmm. and um one time i was in the security area wright patterson driving around and i saw a whole lot of digging and it was where people said the um chambers were and there were big machines and a whole lot of dirt and everything like they were really digging. And I wondered if those were the chambers because it's where several people located them. But I didn't go out of my car and take pictures because I was afraid I'd get in trouble. Uh-huh. I mean, I took some pictures, but I didn't get out of my car. Mm-hmm. It looked like they were digging pretty deep. Hmm. 
So you discovered that, you know, uh, for yourself, uh, especially when you were showing around that Project Blue Book was not a real UFO investigation. Um, do you believe then that was uh, because there wasn't, they didn't find anything really? Or do you believe like your, your book kind of alludes to that they knew more, they just didn't want to share that? I think some agency in the government, probably in Washington, knew knew a lot about UFOs. I mean, I don't know if they knew very much really, but they knew more than everybody else knew. And I think they were kind of directing things. Mm -hmm. And when Wright-Patterson first started studying them, they were seriously considering, are these from space or ET or that sort of thing? And the big honchos in Washington decided to throttle that. It, they got rid of the people and hired different people that were skeptical. And I, it became, uh, Project Blue Book came, became more and more skeptical as it went along. Mm -hmm. So that even with really good sightings, they would say, oh, you just saw Venus. Mm -hmm. So uh, what leads you to believe that there is a government cover-up? Assuming that you believe that, since it's kind of the subtitle of the book. Uh, quite a bit. Uh, from the very first, I went into detail on Kenneth Arnold's experience, and it looked like there was some, I mean, Kenneth Arnold saw his UFOs in June the 24th, and the United States government should be highly interested in this because something it showed that something was probably flying over U.S. airspace. But Arnold never heard from the government until um, the middle of July. And just, I mean, you know, you'd think the government would contact him pretty fast if they didn't know anything about it. And he, I read his book. Uh, I mean, I know it was old and everything, but it, I read it after Watergate, and it had been written in the 1950s. And in the 1950s, everybody sort of believed what the government said. But as time went on, they didn't. And I kept, in today's world, and when I read it, it sounded like the government or something was really into hiding things then. And um, a number of things have happened, such as when I worked at Battelle Memorial Institute, well, there's some real good evidence that something from Roswell was sent to uh, Wright-Patterson. For example, there was a man on the who was doing a radio broadcast from Roswell, and he said on air that he had just called Wright-Patterson, and they said the airplane was on their way, which would be really hardcore documentation, I'd say. It's something went during the Roswell time from... <clears throat> from Roswell to Wright-Patterson. Well, they also thought that um, it was prob it probably went on to Battelle because Wright-Patterson, Battelle Memorial Institute, which is in Ohio and cl somewhat close to Wright-Patterson, it's a very uh, prominent institute. Um, it's who developed the Xerox and it was in charge of a lot of nuclear facilities and things like that, so it's a big thing. And um, 
Mattel had a lot of really good metallurgists. And I heard this story, which I published about 1994 or something, that a man that was working there said that he had, he had parts of a uh, UFO or ET vehicle. And I think he told people that in around the 1950s when Mattel was doing their study, and they, he said that he was supposed to um, decipher some writing on it. And um, I found a lot of this out from working there, just talking to people, because some of the people were real old timers that had been around there. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote it up, and it was 1994. Well, when... Um, Witness to Roswell, the book came out. They mentioned this. And um, the people then wouldn't have known anything about Roswell or anything else. But I found out the man that wrote it up, uh, that I wrote about, that said that. He was a top scientist. He wasn't just anybody. He was a metallurgist, and he published papers, and he was in American Men of Science. And he was also studying things that... um, with the same people that Wright Patterson hired to investigate UFOs. And he had told people he was working on secret projects. So he may have been one of the people that was working on the Mattel project, but that's about the only time that anybody said anything about um, maybe working um, on uh, Roswell artifacts or something. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It it was kind of official because he had a pretty good position. Mm -hmm. What did people at Patel think of that story? The people, I knew a lot of people that were interested in UFOs, so I was talking to a lot of them. And they thought, um, nobody thought too much about it first. And when I first wrote it up, it just, I didn't even put a title of Roswell or anything on it. I just wrote it up. And then somebody found it. said, hey, this is good evidence. And I began to realize then that uh, when he said that, that it was before anybody knew about Roswell. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of, there was a whole lot of grapevine talk all around that um, Mattel had been working on Roswell debris. And people knew some of the people that were in the secret pod project that studied UFOs, and they were trying to get them to crack and everything, but most of them didn't, except for that one man. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was real highly classified at that time. And what was another thing that was interesting was that what they what Wright Patterson hired the Battelle people for was to get a questionnaire that explores what the people saw, and also do a study. And the study was very good. It was very well done scientific study, and it had positive results too. But what was really funny about it was is that the people they hired were metallurgists, and that sounded pretty fishy because <laughs> hmm. it was it was wouldn't have been in their field at all. But looking at debris might have been. Mm-hmm. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, what about misinformation? Another topic of your book. What? Uh, uh, sort of misinformation do you believe the government has been involved with regarding UFOs? Well, I think a lot of the debunking comes from the government. And um, 
let me think, I was thinking of something. Um, they actually went so far as to try to drive people crazy and maybe were successful. I met several, when I was at um, Wright-Patterson on base, I advertised in their newspaper, the Skywriter, to, to see if I could find, to see if I could find informants. Maybe that's not the thing to do, but I did it. And somebody answered, and another person, I interviewed him, and we didn't know it at the time, but he was a um, sort of like a misinformation person that was conveying sort of like a debunker. He wrote books and things. He'd been on a national TV show as a hidden scientist and that sort of thing. But um, he told me that with the government information is information that what is what they do is they tell give a lot of misinformation but they sprinkle in some real information too and so people should pay attention to the misinformation his name was collins and I, he was um he and another person were falcon and condor on a real big show they had um robert collins yeah uh-huh yeah, so I don't think he was a scientist, but yeah, he he worked at Wright Patterson. Um, I remember. Yeah, he published about the underground chambers and things. Yeah, he certainly believed in all of this stuff that he was receiving from alleged insiders, including one nefarious person named Richard Doty, who was certainly less than honest. Uh, we know. Um, so yeah, so very interesting. Um, with with your book, what was your goal with this book? Like, what did you really want to convey with this book? I think what I wanted to convey the most was that I think UFO the phenomena is a lot more complicated than they show because the people are mainly think this is extraterrestrial. This is spacecraft from other planets or galaxies or other planetary systems in our galaxy and all that. And I think it's a lot more complicated than that. I don't think people are always studying the technology and everything. And from my observation of uh, talking to people, they'll report things that just don't make sense technologically. I mean, they'll talk about objects that split in two and go back together and orbs that have intelligent behavior and things with interactive behavior and just, you know, things disappear and maybe go through walls and stuff. And that isn't exactly what you think about in, t in terms of the technological spaceship. I think mm -hmm. it's a lot more complex than that. And I was trying to say that and also there's a lot of government cover-up, but there's no evidence really that anybody has knows the secret of the UFOs because they would probably take over the world, and that mm -hmm. hasn't happened. Mm -hmm. So I think it probably the government it's probably complicated to the government too, mm -hmm. although they probably have more information than a normal person would. Right. So, but it's a possibility. Then you're saying that. They don't have all the answers, though, and they may not have a whole lot more than than we have. That would be one theory that 
mm-hmm. would make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Although I, I don't know. Um, from my own observation, I think from working in places like the DIA, where I was in air order of battle and I was supposed to uh, use satellite photography and look over a big area of the country. I mean, of not, I mean, of countries, not like this country. But um, that would be a good place for the government to look for UFOs. And nobody told us anything about UFOs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that seemed kind of strange. Hmm. Because they should be interested, just like with Arnold, when they didn't contact him after he reported his sightings. Well, the same here, they didn't. The government didn't say anything to us about UFOs. In fact, my supervisors reported one, and they had real good concrete photography. And the government higher-ups, that they they were pretty high up anyway, and had you know big security clearances and everything. But the government higher, higher, higher-ups said it was a flaw in the film. And anybody that had the slightest bit of training would have known that wasn't true. And it, so it was very strange that, you know, even the people, professional people that were trained, I mean, I had a PhD level job and my supervisors were above me with really top jobs. And it's funny that the government would just impolitely say, you're crazy, you didn't see that, it's not on the film, mm-hmm. more or less. Which it obviously was because it was on two different missions. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, we saw this in Blue Book, too, where people with uh, better credentials uh, would report things, uh, such as people from Lockheed Martin uh, even, you know, uh, had reported uh, sightings. And uh, it was funny. I remember one Blue Book story in particular where it was uh, they reported a, uh, this group of scientists reported a sighting to Blue Book. And one of the guys who responded and kind of, you know, blew it off and debunked it was a student of that guy. So uh, obviously the scientists had much more credibility and much more ability to analyze the uh, pictures that they had taken uh, more so than the, the student who was working for Blue Book. So, uh, yeah, that, that sort of thing seemed to... And do you think it's because, you know, uh, for example, John Alexander kind of has a similar perspective that they don't know a whole lot. They're scrambling too. They wish they had more information, uh, but they also just don't want to deal with it. And uh, that's kind of how he explains it. They just want to wash their hands of of anything they can explain. Um, is that sort of what you feel? Yeah, like? I just mm-hmm. thought from my experience – in that, when we had something on two different missions, which is 90 minutes apart as the satellite goes around things, and when they just really said, well, you didn't see that, that's a flaw, and they sent it to some specialists who said it wasn't a flaw, but the people above just insisted it was a flaw, just like Project Blue Book did, even though we were trained professionals with a photography. Mm-hmm. So I thought there was some element in the government way up that, um, is really working to turn people off when the information should be collected, actually. Mm-hmm. And I, you can kind of see it. Let's say for decades, you know, or for a long period of time, 
the Air Force is receiving this data, these sightings. They're, they're also collecting data. They're scrambling jets like in 1952 in Washington or these other myriad of cases where they scramble jets for objects, but they just can't find anything more out. They can't catch them. You know, they disappear when they get close. And so uh, instead of trying to collect data, it's easier for them to say, especially from people like, like you all, scientists, to say, oh, no, it's not what you think it is because if they admit – that it is mysterious, then they have to do something about it. But if they stick to their guns that, no, it's no big deal, then they can just blow it off. Well, they've never said that they don't exist. They just say they're not a threat to national security. And that's everybody interprets that as saying, well, they don't exist. But that's not what they say. Mm-hmm. And like with the jets in Washington, what was fun in 1952, what was odd about that was, is that they saw them a long time ahead of time, and it was hours and hours before they scrambled the jets. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that suggests the government knows something, but <laughs> who knows what. <laughs> yeah, but what is the hard part, huh? Interesting, yeah. yeah. So, uh, with convey, you know, with the kind of what, going back to what you had talked about, with conveying all of these different ideas about how, uh, like, I agree with you. I mean, the phenomena seems more enigmatic and strange uh, for one simple solution. Um, How strongly do you believe in the extraterrestrial hypothesis, or do you think there are possibly other answers? Well, I think it may be a combination of things, and I think we humans may just be very, very, very primitive um, we've been around for 200,000 years, and the universe has been here for around 14 billion years. And there may be all kinds of life forms that are way above us. And we just don't, we're not taking in a lot. Um, for example, we're ex- trying to explain UFOs by Newtonian physics, and so things don't go through walls and things. But if you look at quantum mechanics, some of that is possible, and our science um, may just not be advanced enough to even understand whether they could come from another planet or any place else. Because we probably need to more need to know more physics to even figure that out. Mm-hmm. Well, and and could it even be possible? I guess that some of this is a, a natural phenomena, but it's re- interacting with our maybe uh, physical reality in a much different way that we can't explain. Um, uh, for instance, I, I mean, I've read things about possibly even lightning having some sort of electromagnetic and maybe even multi-dimensional effect uh, that we can't even explain or understand um, because our science doesn't. It hasn't gotten there yet. Well, sometimes I wonder if the phenomena, I mean, like we're molecular and we're made out of carbon and molecules and everything. Or maybe there's lots of life forms in the universe that isn't molecular like us. And um, also with the quantum theory, it's always been that you can only go so fast with the speed of light. For example, Einstein's theory, but they've now they think, you know, you can go uh, – uh, interaction can occur instantaneously 
instead of being as slow as the speed of light, because they've shown that in the entwined particle mm -hmm. experiments, which would mean that maybe the universe is just a tiny little thing, maybe space and time don't even exist. And so when we think, oh, we have to go billions and billions and billions, etc., light years, or maybe for more advanced beings, that just doesn't occur. Mm-hmm. Now, are you convinced that uh, there is an intelligence behind uh, the phenomena? It, from the uh, interviews and information I've had, I think so, because it seems to be interactive, not um, real interactive, but like uh, orbs will chase cars or blink on and off when somebody sends a signal and things like that so it's somewhat interactive mm -hmm. and um, the scientist uh, the head of the physics department Harley Rutledge have you heard of him mm -hmm. he did a real time experiments during a flap and he thought the phenomena knew what people's intentions were and even they might be able to read minds and things like that Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and do you think that's possible? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's possible. I, mean, I don't know if it's true or not, but I certainly think it's possible. Mm -hmm. Because, like, he did good experiments and approached it in a scientific way, and that was what he found. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, because uh, I, I was a MUFON investigator for a while, and, of course, I follow UFO sightings on a daily basis, and you do have so many of these sightings. I mean, I, I've had people talk about this. In fact, I was on a radio show a few weeks ago uh, here in Phoenix. You know, it's kind of a hip-hop radio, but they had me on to talk about UFOs, and this lady called in with this experience, and, and I told her, you're not the only one. P other people have reported this where they spot a UFO, and, you know, they get kind of scared and think, I hope it doesn't come this way. And sure enough, it starts heading their direction. Um, I don't know if you've heard that, but I've heard that several times. And uh, some people, you know, when you suggest it's almost like it knew, they think, oh, that's ridiculous. How would it know? But who knows? I mean, it, it, we, we don't understand consciousness very well. I mean, um, our brains could have some sort of, uh, you know, be sending out some sort of signal that somehow they picked up on. Well, yeah, I mean, I've run across that a lot of times, and sometimes it's like the phenomenon is just showing off to people. Mm -hmm. I mean, like putting on a display or doing something geometrical or something like that. They don't come down and say, hello, take me to your leader, but maybe, you know, they think our leaders aren't that <laughs> Yeah. But, um, yeah, I found that a number of times. Mm-hmm. Now, having looked at this topic for, you know, decades and, and also with, with your background, do you see patterns um, that may indicate uh, maybe like motivations? Um, do you think you know, have any ideas about what's happening and or why? Well, I think it needs a lot more data collected. Um, in biology, they so don't don't be anthropomorphic and don't attribute human ideas to animals. And mm. I don't think that's right because I think we're just as much animals as anybody else. Mm -hmm. But and so I think you know if I attribute something to the phenomena, 
that maybe I am being anthropomorphic and maybe they have um, totally different motivations from us. And so, I don't know, it seems like they're interested in us and they're interested in putting on displays and things like that and interacting somewhat. But it doesn't go very far, at least I don't know about. I mean, maybe everything in the world is controlled by UFO phenomena, but (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) just don't know how far that goes. But I think it's possible, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good point, you know, and more and more, I think uh, researchers kind of reflect on that and and, and speak to that. Is, is that what you just said? It does seem that there is a limited sort of react uh, interaction that happens, but nothing too close or major. Typically, I mean, the the vast majority of experiences are more benign, you know, and. Uh, uh, not like uh, smoking gun situations, but uh, but their personal experiences often uh, to the witnesses and uh, kind of expand their minds uh, about the ideas or, or the possibilities. Um, so if there is something going on, it doesn't seem to be very overt and uh, purposefully. I agree. Um, in fact, with a, I wrote uh, several papers with a. Um, French ufologist, his name was Gene Sider, and we wrote that um, maybe they were affecting our culture to, um, I mean, like the Roswell event sort of happened during the Cold War at a particular time, and the flap of 1973 was when, during the impeachment of Nixon, and that there was a big flap, I think it was in 1957, when they sent up Sputnik, and in some way, they're influencing our culture, but they're not, you know, coming down telling us anything directly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's some, I know uh, Grant Cameron, a researcher from Canada, is really into this idea that they're uh, subconsciously influencing us, including our art. Um, he believes that a lot of, uh, of musicians are, are influenced uh, by... Aliens, essentially. It could be. I, you know, as a scientist, I think, how can you study this? Mm-hmm. There's probably ways, but I don't know. But, yeah, I think it's certainly possible. And, um, I mean, when people, sometimes somebody will say they just look at a blank area and a UFO appears and things like that, which is pretty interactive, <laughs> mm-hmm. but not concrete. Yeah. So in your book, uh, you're essentially with with the subtitle of 70 Years of Lies, Misinformation and Government Cover-Up, um, calling out the government a bit. Um, what do you think they could and or should do? Uh, say what they know and what they don't know. And maybe the reason they don't do that is because they don't know too much about it. But I think they ought to release everything. They always put this big stuff in that they're releasing all this information. And you doubt it because, um, well, part of it would be classified, but I think they probably go through and sort out what's um, fairly, what's more innocuous. And um, also, all through it, 
I think that since the very beginning, I think the best reports have gone to someplace else besides Project Blue Book, that there's some agency has been collecting information all the time. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what it is. I mean, I work in the government. Our reports went to the CIA, I think, eventually. And somebody up above us said, you didn't see anything, even though we were the specialists. Mm -hmm. Which makes me think it was very high security clearances and everything else. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's a tough, tough uh, kind of uh, situation. Because uh, if they were to come out and say... Something is happening, but we don't know what. Um, you can kind of see why they would hesitate to do that. Um, not just in the effects it would have on our culture, but also the effects it may have on our world standing uh, and how other countries would be, view, you know, the great well, American military, uh, first of all, says they think there's there's something to this. Uh, and second of all, are incapable of doing anything about it. Yes. Um, I think that actually a lot of people, if they had their preference, even if the phenomenon was something really, really horrible, they would probably like to know about it, even if it destroys their worldview and everything else, because our worldview may not be right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just like the truth will prevail sometime, but... <laughs> Maybe it should be, we should find it, if mm -hmm. even something horrible. So, since you've been doing this for, for quite some time, have you seen a change in public perception? Um, yeah, somewhat. Um, when people find out you're studying UFOs, they laugh at you and harass you and point to their head and ask if you have a propeller on your hat and things like that. But then later people come up to you and say, well, they saw something and tell you about it. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the reason the whole thing is still much in the news and everything is because a lot of people have experiences and see things, but they don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think, you know, with Spielberg and all the media and everything, that people are a lot more open-minded than they were, mm -hmm. but, not, you know, real open-minded. Do you think the media handles the topic uh, better now than they have in the past? Sometimes I think so, that they act like it's something serious. But in our local TV station, if somebody mentions UFOs, all the um, anchors will laugh and giggle and say, you know, oh, we're above that and things. But I think in general um, that people are more open-minded. Mm -hmm. It seems like, especially working with local news, um, it's kind of a hit or miss thing. It depends on the, the culture in the uh, department, news department. But uh, I, I'm, I have mostly interact with Denver and with Phoenix. And in Denver, for the most part, um, they were very positive about it, uh, especially Fox. Fox out there in Denver covered uh, stories a lot and here in Phoenix actually all the media is pretty cool about it and I think it's mostly because of the Phoenix lights that is such a big story here that comes up uh, a pretty much any UFO story they have to mention the Phoenix lights and they loved Phoenix light stories so uh, it 
yeah, at least here, uh, seems like they treat it pretty well. And, uh, but nationally, it can be hit or miss. Although, you know, recently that 60 Minutes piece with uh, Robert Bigelow, uh, they were very serious when they asked him about UFOs. I know, and I, I keep, I missed it for some stupid reason. It's on my TV, there, on my computer there, rated for me to look at. And I haven't looked at it yet, but I think that was very good, even though I haven't seen it. I plan to today. But I think that was excellent that somebody, you know, a big shot would say that to the mm-hmm. public. Do you think that sort of, uh, you know, uh, courage by a big shot uh, how, will help others uh come forward i mean i'm sure you've worked with uh quite a few scientists who may have an interest but are reluctant to share their interests publicly yeah i think most of them if they've had sightings or something they don't talk about it uh yeah i think that would help a whole lot to Mm -hmm. have uh big shots discuss it and say you're probably experiencing something real and do you think it would be possible at this point, um, or maybe what would make it possible to uh, have a, an actual academic study uh, on this topic? Well, I think it's been done before. Yeah, I think it's possible because Battelle Memorial Institute, in 1952, they did the study SR-14. Do you remember that? Uh-huh. And it was a very good study. And they found positive results. I mean, they did it with a good experimental design so that they could do statistics on the results. They did statistics on the results and found significant results. But the government then said they didn't find anything. And with the um, – so I, I think that was an excellent experiment because they studied like 7,000 observations and things. Mm-hmm. I mean – that was at the beginning of the whole thing, and that just seemed like a, I mean, it still seems like a really excellent experiment. And the work of um, of Harley Rutledge, I think, was very good, too. So I think it's, even if you don't know what you, the phenomena is, that it's still possible to set up studies, and I think that ought to be done. I think that um, people really good if they would hire, if somebody had the money to hire really good statisticians and get a good database and everything that that would tell you quite a bit too mm-hmm. and now the difficult part is the data so the statistical analysis is always going to be somewhat limited due to the data um so what i think would be exciting is kind of like uh what happens in norway for this hesdalen lights uh uh, event that they have, which is kind of similar to Marfa, where they see lights there, uh, but they actually do some physical field work um, to try to capture, uh, you know, information about that phenomena to figure it out. It'd be great if something like that happened here. Marfa would be a great example of somewhere to go do that sort of thing. Yeah, I think that would be excellent because I can think of all kinds of experiments to do if they had, for example. If they saw a UFO and they put a spectrometer so um, on its light, they might be able to figure out what elements are in the light from a UFO and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think they're and uh, what Rutledge did of real-time following objects with uh, stations here and there so that they know 
where it's going and when it changes courses and things like that was just excellent. And I think, you know, there's a lot of ways it could be used to study, but Mm -hmm. you probably need a flap, and that's something you can't predict ahead of time. Mm Mm-hmm. I guess now that we're running out of time, my my last question would be for your book. Like, uh, what would you like? How would you like your book to influence the study in this topic? Well, I'd like to it to influence the idea that there is perfectly good scientific work that has been done on UFOs with positive results, even though the government says no, and that it may be possible to find out more about them. And that it, the phenomena is probably a lot more complex than people think of. Mm-hmm. And I guess uh, a follow-up to that would be, what would you recommend for people? What would you recommend people do to uh, help that to happen? Well, um, turn in the reports <laughs> for one thing. Mm-hmm. Most people don't turn them in, the vast majority of people. And um, it's a shame there's no... just real good central government place that um, collects the information. So they should turn it into, you know, like MUFON or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's not well financed, and you can't do that type of study unless you have, well, you can, but it'd be nice if a lot more scientists went out and tried to do something. Mm-hmm. Because then you would gather better data in in a way that would be more useful to work with and hopefully be able to glean better information from it. Yeah, if you set up a study with a scientific, I mean, I know UFO UFO phenomena isn't isn't like a normal thing, but you could still set up perfectly good experiments and find out, you know, whether it's behaving in a really odd way or whether it's just normal ways that people misinterpret and things like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. you could certainly say, find out that. Mm -hmm. Well, great. Well, thank you so much. The book is UFOs Today, 70 Years of Lies, Misinformation, and Government Cover-Ups. Where's the best place for people to purchase the book? Amazon.com, and it's it just was released today. And... um, so they should be able to get copies pretty soon if they order from Amazon. Okay. Yeah, today is June 1st. This probably won't air for a week and and a little more than a week since I'm going to be on vacation next week. So we're going – this is kind of a time warp itself because when people hear this, you know, they'll be listening to the past. But um, – as if it's today. So by then it'll be out a week and a half. So, but people can go to Amazon and uh, purchase the book there. Yeah. All right. Very well, easy. Just go to the computer and order it. <laughs> yep. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been super interesting. I hope people do get the book and and uh, and that it does very well. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's been a very good interview, and I've learned things from you. Oh, <laughs> so. great. And I also want to thank you for your years of service in this field and for, I mean, I, I'm sure it had to take some amount of courage for you, uh, given you know your work, to be so out about your research into this field and 
have done it for so long and uh, all the volunteer stuff you've done with MUFON. So thank you for your years of, of work in, in this topic. Well, thank you for your many years and your podcasts and broadcasts and everything else. My pleasure. <laughs> all right. So thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, thank you for inviting me for the interview. Thank you so much to Irina Scott for joining us for the show. Really interesting stuff. And how cool is it that she's been involved with UFO research for so many years? So uh, just for that reason alone, you know, she's just a very, very interesting person to talk to. So be sure and pick up her book. Uh, Again, that's UFOs Today. 70 Years of Lies, Misinformation, and Government Cover-Up. So there are, because she's had such a fascinating life, some aspects of her life that we did not even get into. But lucky for you, OpenMind.TV is here to share all uh, the great UFO info with you. And you can go to our website, again, OpenMinds.TV, and you'll be able to see a uh, print interview that was written by Philip Mantle. Philip Mantle is a UK researcher who uh, contributes to OpenMinds.TV on a regular basis, and he also publishes books. So he actually published Irina's book, and he did an interview with her, and you can find that on the front page of OpenMinds.TV. You'll find it right next to, actually, this radio show, uh, of course, which will uh, be there as well. So All the Irina Scott you could ever want right there at OpenMinds.TV. If you want to get her book, which is going to have even more information, then you'll be able to find that on Amazon. So just go to Amazon and look for UFOs today or uh, search Irina Scott either way and you'll be able to get the book. It's very very well priced also. It's only $18.00. Uh, And if you've got Prime, you know that's going to be free shipping. So I love Prime. I use Prime for everything, for better or worse. Um, That's my go-to. I'm a big researcher, and typically the the prices are best there. So it's awesome that you can get her book on Amazon Prime because uh, that way you know you're going to get it quickly. And you know what else is cool is I'm noticing here... UFOs Reframing the Debate is also on Amazon Prime and only $16. That's another new book, which a lot of our friends that have been on this podcast um, are a part of. So this was actually Robbie Graham's put this together, but there's a bunch of papers written by some of my favorite UFO peeps, um, people like Greg Bishop. Ryan Sprague, uh, some the Red Pill Junkie. I think we've, I think he's been on the show, but a super cool guy who's always Micah Hanks. He's been on the show. In fact, it's his brother Caleb who does the opening close music for our show. So a lot of really really cool people wrote some really good stuff there. So if you look for UFOs today from Irina Scott, then you're also going to find that book. So I highly recommend uh both of those books so check that out really good stuff so again thank you so much um irena uh, was i think just totally fascinating and it's great that there are people out there like her that have devoted so much of their life to uh investigating this totally fascinating field 
And unfortunately, you know, often it goes with, uh, you know, a uh, little thanks. Uh, if anything, it can be more of a headache because, you know, as many of us in this field know, uh, as soon as you post something, um, it gets criticized. And there, there's a lot of just the trolls out there make it really hard to um, and to keep motivated. You got to just kind of ignore that stuff in order to to keep rolling. Um, although I always do recommend uh, or, or welcome um, criticism and constructive criticism because we can all always improve. But uh, this can be a tough field to keep going in, uh, especially with little appreciation at times. So, you know, and I and I say that because people like Irina have had to go through a lot to keep going in this this thankless and, and not a field where you make a lot of money. I'm sure she's not going to make a bunch of money on her book, but uh, hopefully she does. Hopefully it goes gangbusters and a lot of people buy it. But um, books, even if they sell tons and tons of copies, do not make you a ton of cash. So this isn't um, what a lot of people get in this field for. It's because of a true uh, appreciation and, and compulsion and, and want to get some good information and to share it with others. So that's what's cool. We get to meet a lot of people like that. And, of course, a lot of people we interview on a weekly basis on the show are those types of people who are, who are very selfless, who are very, you know, they're into the research for research's sake, uh, just to get information uh, and try to find out what's going on. So... It's really cool. We have some of the best guests, uh, really neat people, and we'll continue to have some neat people. So we'll have more shows coming up. I won't be going on vacation again for a little while, so stay tuned. Um, of course, you'll be able to get more news. We haven't posted UFO headlines in the last week or anything because I've been gone in the last week at openminds.tv. However, starting today, we will have more stories uh, going up there. So do visit openminds.tv today to see what new stuff we've posted and visit every day from here on out because we'll have new stuff every day. And of course, if you can't visit every day, but you want to be sure you're up to date on everything that we've got going on, you can join our email list and you can find that in the upper right hand corner at openminds.tv. And uh, that way, on a biweekly basis, you'll be notified, hey, here's some of the cool stuff we've been up to. And, you know, every two weeks we've got uh, a lot of interesting stuff and you'll, you'll at least find a few things that I think that you will find of interest. So uh, do sign up for our email list. We also update you on the famous International UFO Congress, which we will begin working on very soon. In fact, very soon you'll be hearing about registration opening, and uh, then soon thereafter you will begin to hear about the speakers that will be uh, coming to the event and... We have some, as usual, you know, some great surprises, some really cool stuff in the works for the UFO Congress for 2018. It will be in the same location, and it will begin on Valentine's Day, which is perfect for people who love the field. And, you know, uh, it can be difficult for those in a relationship, of course, to want to come leave their spouse to go um into something like this but you know just be creative figure out a way where you can both you know enjoy 
the the event perhaps together. Now, the first night there is a banquet. So if you bring your significant other, you know, it's a good way and, and a not a very expensive way for you guys to be a part of a uh, fun evening where, uh, you know, you'll get to enjoy a dinner together. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful location. So the, the desert at sunset is very romantic. The area is very nice. Maybe that doesn't sound nice because you're thinking of the Sahara and mirages and camels or something like that. But that's that's like the Middle East. That's a different kind of desert. The desert out here in Arizona is very pretty, at least especially by this um, location. is very gorgeous, and the sunsets are beautiful. And it is kind of a very romantic um, Western American type of thing. So uh, certainly romance, uh, romance happens at this event. People fall in love at this event. In fact, last year... Richard Dolan got engaged the first evening of our event. And a few years ago, prior to that, Nick Pope got married. Richard Dolan, of course, is a well-known researcher uh, who has written several books on in UFOs and uh, has been on many television programs. Nick Pope, of course, you worked for the UK Ministry of Defense um, investigating UFOs. Um, so, yeah. So, so how romantic is that? Maybe who knows? What UFO researchers may be falling in love and or getting married or engaged at our event this next year. Maybe that could be you. Isn't it romantic? So uh, openminds.tv is where you're going to find out all about this or at ufocongress.com. Otherwise, I want to thank... Caleb Hanks for the opening and close music. I want to thank Martin Willis for joining us with the news. Uh, Well, he didn't really bring news, but joining us for to talk about some UFO news and stuff. And it's always fun to have Martin on the show. So thank you, Martin of Podcast UFO, for joining us at the beginning of the show. And he'll be joining us from Russia. Holy moly. Next week. So that will be cool. But anyway, I also, of course, want to thank you all, the listeners. Thank you all so much for joining us every week. It's so uh, very, uh, I just, I'm very thankful for you guys being here and getting to meet you at some of these events. In fact, and I'll tell you more about it on our next show, and you can actually go to openminds.tv and look at the events and read more about it. But Roswell, this is a big anniversary. It's the 70th anniversary of the Roswell event. So I'll be there speaking for the Roswell Daily Record newspaper. There'll be a lot of other great speakers there. Um, But maybe some of you will be there. And that would be really cool if you are. If you do uh, go and you see me, say hi. Because I love to meet our listeners. And I'm just very thankful that you guys join us every week. You guys are awesome. So until next week, uh, you guys have a great week. And adios muchachos. 